This is Darrell Alia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 198. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place mr hollywood himself presents the before the millions podcast and now your host deray olalaye what is going on good people welcome back to a brand new installment of the before the millions podcast and guys i'm excited on today's episode we are introducing a brand new real estate investor, of course, uh, by the name of Mr. Nate Barger. And he's actually not a brand new investor. He's a longtime investor, but he's brand new for us. He's brand new to our show, to our podcast, to our listeners. And the nourishment that he provides on today's episode will give you some sort of a eclectic high over the next hour um, as you start to imagine the possibilities, right? And it's going to start from a very weird place at first and a place that maybe some of us haven't been um, because Nate's background is very peculiar. It's very different, right? At the age of 15, Nate started dealing cocaine. Uh, before he was 20, he was under investigation with the FBI for four felonies. Four. He's been to prison multiple times. So, his background, he'll talk about it on the show, was one that, you know, he was always accustomed to making money and making a lot of money really, really fast. So having to, as an adult, find your way into normal society, it was it was hard. It was difficult for Nate. He was just like, I can't go work at 7-Eleven and make, you know, $15 an hour. I, I can make 250 grand in one trip. So he talks about his assimilation to general society, and then he talks about the one thing that he knew he could do as a normal citizen that would bring him large amounts of money, which, as you should know by now, is real estate. Now, the numbers that Nate, I told him this after the show, the numbers that he does is just stupid. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Um him, my podcast manager, and I, we were all on the call after the show, just kind of wrapping up and talking about different things to make sure that everybody knew what was going to happen over the next few weeks. And he started to give us a tour of his house. And tell me why. This man, he hosts, and he doesn't know I'm a big football fan, but he hosts Monday Night Football and invited me to Monday Night Football. But he hosted every single Monday night uh, in, his, in his, I guess his, I guess you could call it a backyard, but it's like, it's a mansion and it's like, acres right and there's an outside 
kitchen and you know the, the, the pools right the multiple pools and all this stuff is crazy he has a dave and busters in his basement right he started showing us the car collection the vipers the mclarens the bentleys and we were just blown away but again when you think about his story or as you guys will you know get to hear his story when you hear his story and you see how he went from having a whole lot to having nothing but he had the mindset and he had the the thing that stands out to me about Nate's story is this. Because he was accustomed to wealth, although albeit the wrong way, because he was accustomed to wealth, when he found a vehicle, a legal vehicle, that he was able to use to build wealth, he immediately took a hold of it and shot straight to the top. And again, I believe that this is because he was accustomed to wealth. I mean, he was a millionaire by the age of 20, 21, 22. So I think it's something to think about as we listen to this episode and we start to think about where our financial thermostats are set. And his is set so high that no matter what he went on to do, he was going to find success. I'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions on that. I just, I mean, it's just what I think. And again, you'll hear his story. You'll start to rationalize how he went from, you know, the drug game to the real estate game and how he became even more prosperous. But you decide for yourself. Let me know. I mean, today, Nate owns 1,800 apartments, a Hilton Hotel, a Marriott Hotel, IHG Hotel, Staybridge, Hampton Inns, right? And we talk about his hotel strategy here on the show because I think it's great. It's fascinating. He uses the general burr strategy that hopefully you guys are aware of. And if not, I talked to Mark Owens on episode 131, all about this investment strategy, but specifically for single family homes. Now, Nate has decided to take the strategy into the hotel space. So he's doing a lot of creative financing. And it's been amazing just to hear that the same things that we're doing in the single family space where we're buying houses for low and no money down and the the, the crazy returns that we're getting, he's able to do that on like a 1 million X scale and buy literally billions of dollars worth of property. And I'm just like, well, shoot, if I can do this in the single family space, what's stopping me from doing this in you know these other spaces, right? And it's going to come down to the knowledge. But again, this episode was so much inspiration. And I think it's one of those episodes that's going to be super captivating. And again, you're going to feel motivated after you get done listening to this, as I definitely was. So uh, without any further ado, let's get to this episode with Mr. Nate Barger. And now your feature presentation. You know, I grew up in a normal uh, blue collar alcoholic family, just like a lot of people out here. And, um, you know, my my father was a railroader. He wasn't around much. He, uh, you know, what terrorized me when I was younger. He said four years old, man, he hung me over the dam by my ankles. Uh-oh. And I, ne- I never realized that until my wife told me years ago that I was a narcissist. And so I went back to counseling to try to, you know, figure out why she thought this. And that's when I remembered that because all them years I had buried that. I was four years old when he hung me over the the dam uh, by my ankles. And so my parents were alcoholics. So I had to be really independent. And so when I was five years old, I remember going to school and I would go buy these mechanical pencils and sell them. So I was an entrepreneur at a young age. And I and I 
I think my parents put a lot of um, responsibility. They didn't put it on me, but I just naturally I saw what was going on. Um, they didn't have any money. We were broke. Heard them arguing about money. So I decided to start making money. Well, the neighborhood that we grew up in was maybe a middle class neighborhood in 1978 when we moved in. I was three years old. By 1985, man, it started to, you know, Section 8 housing. And by 19 late 80s, crack cocaine came in and uh, it just started to be a bad neighborhood. Um, I was hanging out, probably, you know, listening to Easy e and Too Short and doing Uh-oh. things I wasn't supposed Uh-oh. to do. <laughs> and yeah, so by the time I was uh, at ninth grade, I got sent away to the state. So, um, you know, I got sent away for a year. My brother was already sent away to military school. Um, and I met other people that were even, you know, criminals, too. So you just expand your criminal network. Um, so by the time I was 15, I got out of there and I started selling drugs and I started selling crack cocaine. I had a job at rallies for two weeks. And, you know, rallies, is a, I don't know if you guys got it. It's like a, a burger chain. Okay. And we don't. Nope. Really, the only job I ever had in my life. You guys got checkers. It's the same thing. Rallies and checkers. And we got we got Wendy's. I mean, not yeah, Wendy's. We got we got we got Whataburger. Whataburger. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Whataburger. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, that started me off on my career of selling drugs. And over the next um, couple of years, I would, you know, I was still in high school. So, on the next couple of years, I would, you know, I would say, just man, really get out here and. I had a crack house and I got busted. I got my first felony and then I stopped. And then I went out with my brother and them and they were doing, they were robbing um, stores. And I mean, at night, like breaking in. And I was like, man, I can't do this, man. It was, that was, that was unnerving. So I went back to selling drugs, got caught, uh, caught a felony. I was already on probation for the first time I got caught, ended up going to prison. Um. So, you know, went to prison. I was out 57, 58 days, caught another case, went right back to prison. I was facing five to 25 years. And, um, you know, I was tough, man, because I and I went and did a plea bargain for two years. And so uh, plea bargain for two years, went in front of the judge and I asked him, I said, you know, man, I just asked that the courts have mercy on me. He gave mm. me a year. I didn't even know the judge could do that. Like I plea bargain for two and he gives me a year. And I'm looking at my attorney like, can he do that? So I went back to prison again. I got out and I met somebody in there that time that uh, was in there for selling like 100 pounds of weed. So that's when I know all about Texas, where you're at, because I used to come down there all the time. South Padre Island, uh, Brownsville, (laughs) Laredo, you know, um, what is that down there? McAllen. We used to go down there. We were getting weed, man. We were getting plugged like 300 pounds a week. Wow. So I was young, man, in my 20s, making a lot of money. And um, then I ended up going to Arizona and start getting weed. And that's when I was really making money. Um, so the whole time in my 20s, man, I made a lot of money. I kept trying to start legit businesses because I didn't want to be a drug dealer. Wait, real, 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 real quick, Dave, I want to I want to dive into this a little bit further, because literally maybe about two hours ago, my podcast manager and I, we were listening to some of my because our, our 200th episode is coming up, by the way, guys. And, you know, we we're listening to some of our older episodes just to stitch together a lot of things for our 200th episode. And I, we were listening to episode 20. This was like four years ago with Jay Morrison. I don't know if you know him, but he was talking about some of the same things that you're talking about, like and and the ease and the quickness of the money that you're making in the drug game 
is it's like an endorphin high. It's like, there's nothing, there's nothing like it. Like there's no other, especially so young, there's no way to get that amount of money so fast. And then once you've built up a certain lifestyle, you're addicted to that lifestyle. So when, again, just because this episode is fresh on my mind, we just listened to it. When, when he would come in and out of jail, he would reform in jail and be like, okay, well, I'm going to do things better when I get out. He would get out and he'd be like, you know what? But this money is so easy and I want to do this and I want to do that. Fall right back in that same trap. And again, plea bargains and he would, he would like legit some of the, you know, some of the exact same lines. And you would think that jail helps you reform, but he was just like, no, like I was actually mixing and mingling with like, yeah, career mastermind criminals. They were actually helping me get better at the business. They were making the business mm-hmm. more sophisticated for me. So given that you're going into a deeper and deeper hole and the system is set up for you to go into a deeper and deeper hole, how in the world, Nate, do you find your way out? Well, it's hard because for me, um, you know, very analytical. So I'm probably only one of the drug, only drug dealers you'll know that had a budget. My budget, that's how reckless I was, man. 57000 a month was my budget as a drug dealer. Mm. Okay. That's how much it cost me to live. Wow. You become, and then what happens, you usually had these dysfunctional traits that you take on. So you're an enabler. So now you got all these people looking out like, Nate, what's up, man? You got another pack. You got another pack. And it becomes a thing where you feel like, man, I don't want to let them down. And my guys, you know, I grew up with them. Um, and so it becomes more than that. And it's, it, it, and I, listen, I didn't even do drugs, man. You know, I was a bad alcoholic, but I didn't do drugs. I mean, it was, it's almost any time that you're doing that stuff, you got habits to support, right? Mm-hmm. So these habits are keeping you living paycheck to paycheck, no matter how much money you make it. I mean, I knew drug dealers, man. I watched them sit there and shoot dice and lose 20, 30,000 a week. Then they would go buy these $500, $800 outfits, wear them one time and throw them in the trash. I mean, you live in a reckless lifestyle. Um, and, and so how do you get out of that? jail most of the time right right so for me i knew i was going back to jail because there's, um, there's, there's no way nate is going to going to work you know uh, going back to checkers or going to work a 15 hour for, per hour job like it's just like it, you couldn't fathom that with a 50 with a fifty seven thousand. like it's just like I mean, no like you just can't it was like i go make one trip and make two hundred forty two thousand profit. right like, you want to give me a job making sixty thousand a year and take taxes out like man i, I can't I can't even think about that. I That's couldn't even, even imagine. Option, right? I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. So, so you get 330 pounds of weed in. I was getting it for 575 and I'm bringing back, banging it for 1400. I mean, it's making 242,000 every trip. Easy. You know, and it wasn't that hard. I mean, I had five people I distributed to. I had a hundred pound guy, a 50 pound, a 50 pound, a 50 pound. A 50. It's easy. It's gone. Right. Money's back in three or four days. And um, so, but I didn't want that. I wanted a family. But I had no education. I never had a job. Nobody was going to hire me. I have four felonies. So what do you do? I had I had a lot of money. So for me, it wasn't even about the money anymore. It was about letting my guys down. And then I kept trying to find something. I, I need to find something. And I finally figured it out. I had a roofing company. That was that, that was profitable. But I was making like 2000 a week. And I was like, that ain't even worth my time. <laughs> but all I had to do was this. Okay, I had the guys that were subcontractors that use. I went and bought a van and tools and everything. I'd take 20% of everything, right? And all I had to do was pay them and then wait to get the 30-day net check and I'd get my money. So I was just, you know, and that was a legit business. I was making money, but it wasn't worth it to me. You know, I'm like, man, I ain't doing that for 2000 a week. You know, I'm young. I'm stupid. I'm dumb. 
I'm like, man, that was pretty good money for, you know, two hours a week. Um, but you don't know that when you're young and you're, you're dumb, you don't have any guidance or education. And so for me, what changed it honestly was there was a few things. Um, I just, man, I remember driving up to Chicago when I had a, I had a, I was in this, I had this girl with me. I don't even know who the girl was, <laughs> you know, I'm drinking Hennessy, probably listening to Tupac. And I'm in, a, I'm in a CL 600 Mar- uh, Mercedes, just driving up the highway, drinking, you know, an, an entire mood. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. And then I'm, I'm, I'm like, just start crying, man. I was like, my whole life is a lie, man. Like it's just, wow. nobody knew I was a drug dealer except, you know, I'm thinking like I got a nightclub and trying to, and, and, and my personality is I just want to network. I want to, I want to talk to people. You couldn't do that. You had to, you had to push everybody away. Wow. And so I just felt, I felt terrible, man. I almost to tell people I had snot coming out of my nose. I was, it was like, you're living a double life. Yeah. And then I just, I just cried out to God. I started screaming his name. The girl that was with me looking at me crazy. Like, you know, I'm like, Jesus. And I just start crying out, man. And, wow. um, you know, that, that would start a, uh, cause I couldn't stop selling drugs. The FBI was watching me. I was going to jail for a very long time. Oh my goodness. And, um, that was that was kind of my savior, man. And then that was because I had this girl I was getting married to. I canceled the wedding and that would have been August of 04. And mm. so, um, you know, that was I had just got a pack back. I, I put it in the trunk of a car. I was like, man, I'm not touching that. If I touch it, I was that hot. Like I was that close. Right. Wow. wow. I just knew I just knew it instinctly. Right. I mean, I used to go outside with the you know infrared uh, stuff and watch the police watching me. <laughs> and I mean, it was, it was just, you know, it wow. was, I was to that point, man. And then my uncles and them, I sent them on a trip. They got caught with money. Um, so it was all just everything around me. It was hitting so, the fan. Yeah. So then, um, November of that year, um, one of my good friends, Dave fell asleep at the wheel and, and, and died. Um, wow. it was my brother's best friend. And then January of Oh five, my best friend Dennis got out. Now he was a career criminal. And he was a jack boy. And, you know, um, I seen him. I was having a party at the club. I told you I had a club. And I, they told me I, I seen him when he got out. And then it was like, yeah, man, he's safe cracking. He doing this. And I was like, man, I can't have him around me. I'm I'm hot. Mm-hmm. And we called him hot boy. And so he came up. I was having a Super Bowl party. And I was like, hey, man, I was like, man, I can't. I love you, bro. But I can't be around you. You too hot, man. And um, wow. I was like, man, I heard what you're doing. And you know, he's like, I ain't going back to jail, Nate. I was like, well, I know you ain't snitching. So what you saying, bro? And then, um, you know, I got a call from uh, DJ Squire. Used to used to uh, DJ Dang. club June 2nd. I was building a house, man. I had started doing real estate, man. Uh, I was doing my first property. I bought it for six thousand. I tore down. I tore down the whole top because I had a guy that was kind of showing me how to do this construction. Remember, I had a roofing company, so I kind of already knew. So um, when I cried out to God, man, I like I said, August of 04, I was done. And then we roll over into June the 2nd of 2005 and Squire called, or maybe it was June the 1st. And he said, hey, man, your brother on the news. So he was talking about Dennis, you know, they called his brothers. And so he had uh, jumped out of the car, started shooting at the police, ran up in the building, took this girl. What? What? Took this girl hostage, Dennis McInnish, Google his name, man, you'll see it. And so. Um, you know, he uh he ended up getting killed the next day, man. You know, police rushed in the building on him and he thankfully he didn't hurt the girl. And it was just everything around me just felt like really messed up, man. 
Man. You know, like I'm I'm over here. And then uh, one of the guys that used to they used to hustle for me end up snitching on my uncle. Um, you know, so it was I just felt like the whole everything was just it was so collapsed. It was, yeah, it was collapsed and it was too close yeah. for comfort. And then I was having a party in September. It, it would have been um, Labor Day of 05. And I met a girl that would change my life. Right. And um, keep in mind, this whole time I was a bad alcoholic. So at this time, I'm, I'm, I'm on probation for a DUI. I'm fighting another DUI. Um, you know, so I'm going through court stuff, too. I'm trying to figure this stuff out. I'm burning through cash. I'm trying to figure out how to make money. And, um, you know, when I met her, she gave me, you know, I, it just really gave me something to focus on. Like, man, you know, I really just loved her. You know, I love this girl. And um, like I said, I cried out to God. He showed me real estate, man. You know, within maybe 30 minutes, I put a business plan together. And I was like, I can make wow. 10000 a month doing this. I was like, I can't live off that. Right. So yeah. it took me some time to get down to where I could live off 10 grand a month. Wow. And um, my first year, I did 10 properties and I was able to, you know, go do the cash out refi and pull 30000 out, about 320000 330000 out. Wow. Within five years, I had 250 units and two big industrial buildings, and I was bankrupt because uh -oh. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was just a street guy. I didn't have no education. I didn't know anything about leverage. I didn't know anything about basic jobs. I didn't know anything about market cycles, reserves, you know, it, it just nothing. I'm just buying stuff to be buying it. I didn't know. You, what buying, you were buying cash or you were still using loans? No, nah, I was using loans, man. I had okay. my credit together. I had, you know, I had I was getting million dollar loans back then. Wow. You know, because back then what happened was when I first started doing it, they had the ninja loans. You remember them? No income, no job, no yeah. assets. And you just they were giving no, you no, no questions. <laughs> yeah, I was able to I was able to build up legit tax returns and go to some of the bigger banks and get stuff. But um, the whole market collapsed. I had two big industrial buildings that I had personally guaranteed. One of them I had cross collateralized with a bunch of residential stuff I had and the tenants and that quit paying me. I mean, we're talking $20,000 a month mortgages. And I had about a half a million cash, but I start burning through that trying to, and then I found a tenant and I went in there and I, and I renovated it. You know, you got to do tenant improvements and right. got a lease out of him. I mean, this is in like, you know, 08, 09. It was, there was, it was ghost, man, the ghost town. Nobody needed any industrial. It was just like nothing. Man. And so um, it was, it was tough. And I called on my partner, Mike, Mike Ealy. And I told him what I was going through and he started laughing, man, I wanted to punch him in the face. And he said, he sound, it sounds like we got a great opportunity. And I was like, who? And then he told me, he said, well, Nate, you know, I lost everything, man. I worked it out, short sales with the banks, I bought mortgage notes, this and that. And um, so we started, we started, I was like, man, I got a guy that's got money, you know, that was still rocking with me. And um, I hadn't started, I, I think I had just got ready to file bankruptcy. And so when he found out I was filing bankruptcy, you know, that hurt him, man. One of my investors, I had over a million dollars with him and um, I didn't have no choice, though. You know, I did a chapter seven, but I didn't include my investor. I did not. He went down there with me and the attorney was like, man, you can't be down here. He's going to be filing. I said, man, I ain't, that's my guy. Like, I'm not filing against him. And so I never filed against him and I never missed a payment because his assets were protected. Mm. And he went on to give me millions of dollars. Wow. Wow. Millions of dollars, wow. me and Mike. And so by 2013, I came out of uh, bankruptcy and I got the HUD, man. 
I bought the first properties that we bought, I bought with a 400 credit score, mm. chapter seven bankruptcy, mm. no money. And I just sold that property the other day and it was $4.9 million in profit on it. Right. Wow. And that was a deal that I did bankrupt. And people say, man, you can't, I, I don't have no money. I look, I don't care. What do you have? Yeah. I had the will and desire to succeed. I had the energy. I knew construction experience. And I just went out here and worked so hard, man, to get this stuff done. And um, I was 2013 and 2014. I would go on to get by 28% of all the multifamily that traded in Cincinnati. I put a group together. We syndicated capital. And by the end of 2015, I was just turned 40. I'm 46 now. I retired. Went to wow. Florida. We moved to Florida. I thought that was going to be life. I had about 35000 a month in passive income. And I thought, man, this is great. And I got down there after about three months. And I was like, you know, it's not. My wife wanted to come back, family. And I was like, you know, I, it's not that I really didn't ever want to do real estate anymore. It's just that I pushed myself too far. Then what happened was I really got good in real estate because mm. then I started valuing my time instead of just doing everything, doing everything, doing everything, doing everything. It's like now it's got to really be worth it because I don't need to move. Right. Once you don't need to move and once you don't need to do a deal, then you're only looking for really good deals. And so my partner, Mike, I remember him. First deal, we said it was it was a deal. I was like, yeah, we could probably make a million two off of that. But man, it ain't worth the time. And he was like, did you just really say that? I was like, yeah, man, it just. And then I was like, I did say that. And something clicked. That's a light bulb. Yeah. It was the value of your time. How much time am I going to have to put in? How much time and energy do I have to put into this thing? Right. And that's when I tell people, like, we really got lazy. Right. Um, it's not that you really get lazy. You just get smarter. You say, you know what? I'd rather just not do a deal than do a mediocre deal. So now uh, that led up to us buying. Right now, I got about 1,800 apartments, 1,800 apartment units. We got Marriott, Hilton Hotels, IHG. We just closed on a stay bridge. Um, we closed on two this week, a stay bridge and a uh, Hampton Inn. And so, you know, it, it, it really, I came out with this group, uh, the Burr Invest Academy, because I really, I got like 110,000 people in that. It's the largest, probably one of the larger um, real estate groups in, in the country. Um, and then it's one of the larger ones on Facebook, but it's really active. There's so many people in there. There's no spam. Everybody kept asking me to mentor. And that brought me to where I'm at today, brother, right here man, in front of you. Man, Nate, this this is a story. This is a story. Like It, it gets I, deeper, too. I could go I, deeper, man, into the details. and Man, we that's, that's why I know there's a part two coming very, very soon. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, like it's, it's just, you know, you think about your journey, and it's just, man, like, you, you, you persevere to figure out how to get what you wanted eventually. Because, I mean, some would say you had a great life, you had what you wanted, but you didn't think that. You knew, you, you knew that there was more and there was a better way to do it. I mean... First and foremost, you that 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 last pack that you put in the trunk, you still have that in the trunk to this day. Nah, it's gone. Hey, hey, if the <laughs> FBI is watching, hey, I got my seven years, man. They had seven years to come back and indict me, and I knew about what time that was. Oh man, I felt so good. <laughs> I'm looking out the windows like, whoa! This is my new birthday. <laughs> yeah, man, that was that was it, man. And um, and then I was glad I lost everything because they could never come back and say that. Well, you use drug money to start. You know, it's like, right. man, I went bankrupt, bro. Right. So clean slate. You cut you cut it all off and then you start all over. But 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 in that time, really, too, man, not to get I ain't religious, but 
you know, I really, when you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Talk to me. Man, it was kind of hard not to push it. Like, what y'all going to do? Mess my credit score up? It's a four. It's already, it's already messed what up. What you going to do? Take my stuff? I ain't got nothing. I ain't got nothing. <laughs> I ain't got nothing. So all I know is to go, go all. Go, yes. Right? Yes. And, yes. And, and what I learned, though, man, is that I started ask. I started praying on it and I started asking God, like, hey, man, you know, close this door if it's not meant to be and open it up if it is. And doors just started closing and opening. Like, it's like you in one of the mazes and you just man. all of a sudden now you see the end. You're like, whoa, you know, you know it's clear as day. Man, it's so much. And man, your story is one of the most powerful stories I've heard. And it's like, I want to dive into it so much. We got, we got a lot to get to. That's why I got to bring you back on. But when you think about even just the transition, let's talk about real estate for a little bit, even just the transition from single family homes to maybe apartments. What, what, what was appealing? Because it's something we haven't really touched on, on on the podcast. We've had probably, you know, 30 syndicators and, you know, a hundred wholesalers. But when you think about the, 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 the hotel space, What's so appealing about the hotel space that you don't really get from single family homes? You don't really get from these large apartment buildings. What yep. what, what draws you to that? All right. So I got a courtyard Marriott, 59,000 square feet, right? I got a 60 unit that's 60,000 square feet. That's 60 units going to bring in about 60, about about a dollar, about 60,000 a month, 720,000 running 97, 96% occupancy. You're bringing in 694, right? That's your gross operating income with vacancy, right? Hotels going to bring in about 4 million. Think about it. You're managing the same size asset and you're bringing in five times, uh, four or five times revenue, right? And guess what? Man, apartments are a little harder because what we do value add apartments, we're doing C-class, we're coming in, you know, 1970s built, uh, cast iron stacks, maybe 1980s, maybe you got, you're, you're happy if you got PBC, you got flat roofs in there. You go and buy a hotel and this thing's like, you got to renovate it. You're like, dude, it looks great. But, <laughs> you know, so they look great. And, 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 and the shape of them and the condition of them, you just go hire a GM to run them and do another one and another and another and another and another and another and another. And then we use the same strategy that we use when we bought uh, multifamily. And now you're burning hotels. You're buying them because you're looking at your competitive set and you're saying, okay, we we're buying this competitive set. There's 700 rooms. We got a hundred. Um, you know, we're, we're running it, uh, or we're running at 89% of the comp set, which means you got 11% you can make up. Right. Then if you're buying a Hilton or a Marriott, you should be able to run it four or 5% above the comp set. So you got to figure out why is this thing running 11% below to, cause that's low hanging fruit. Right. right we're talking right. 300,000 a year. And that's probably 70% of that's going to go straight to your NOI. Right. right? So just 210,000 to buy that over a seven or eight cap, man. I mean, you just added a couple million dollars just with better OPEX, right? Right. So it's so much easier to make money, but really it's so much easier to manage. You know, apartments, there's so many different moving parts, man. And you can't afford to pay the guy $80,000 to run it for the year. So, and then you can't, I mean, then you got to have maintenance guys, you got to have subs, you know, with, um, I'm not saying you don't need that same stuff when you're running um, uh, um, hotels, but there's so much more money to pay them out of. That makes sense. That makes you sense. You can scale I, quick. You can scale yeah, quick. Absolutely. So, so you talked about some of the hotel types that you that you're more so interested in. And again, I want you to cover the the the, the general standard Burr method, which hopefully most of our listeners know. If not, look back in the archives. But how do you apply the Burr method to hotels, and what is your timeline? What does that look like? Just kind of give us a, a synopsis or a story to follow. Yeah. So uh, good question. 
it's all the same. How are you going to add value? How are you going to force the appreciation? Or did you buy this deal right? I'll give you an example. Bought a home, two suites. Uh, it was about $15 million hotel, $1.2 million NOI. That's how we're buying hotels right now. The guy owed $8.1 million on it, defaulted. He defaulted because of COVID. Now, he had six hotels, um, CMBS debt, which are you familiar with that, your viewers? Yep, just a little bit. You could touch on it. So it's commercial-backed security. Basically, it's bonds that are traded off and sold. So you can't really go in and negotiate and even buy those. You can't buy that note because those, uh, uh, you know, because those people want to be paid, you know, um, on that bond. That bond's already been sold off and they're looking to get a return off of it for X, Y, Z amount of years. So and then you can't really go in and get a discount on it. Um, if they're going to discount it, it has to go into foreclosure, right? And then it gets hard because then they got to take it out to auction. So you got to get them in a little time before they go there. You get the owner to rock with you. You get them to rock with you. You come in, you put a team together. Instead of putting 30% down on a $15 million hotel, which is four and a half million, plus probably a half a million of reserves, we're not chasing, a, we're not chasing um, our equity multiple or whatever our return is off the 5 million. We're coming in and saying, hey, look, man, we're going to come in and we're going to take this over. We're going to clean it up. You're not going to have this on your record. Or maybe we keep him in and keep him in with 20 percent, 30 percent. It's all, you know, how much value does the deal have? And then you kind of project out, OK, we're going to lose money for the next 30 months. We're going to lose, you know, twelve thousand dollars for 30 months. That's three hundred sixty thousand. We need to set that aside. Right. Um, we're going to go in here. We're going to have to catch up the bank payments to make them current. That's two hundred and seventy thousand dollars on that. They got eighty thousand in legal out. So then you put it together, you syndicate it, you raise a million, million two. Now you're in it for nine, two, nine, three. When the market comes back, it's worth 15, 16, 17 million again. Your right. equity multiples off the charts, right? right. So you got to be strategic about how you're doing this stuff now. Um, you know, hotels, you can make a lot of money right now because you're buying them discounted. Uh, in the last recession, I remember looking at one of my partners bought uh, one down in Tampa for 15 million and it appraised four years later for 42 million. And I was like, man, if I was like, and then we're looking, we're like, that's never going to happen again. Right. And then COVID hits and me and Mike just looked at each other like, let's go. It's, it's our time yeah. to shine, baby. Yeah, it's our time. <laughs> so uh, we realized we could buy billions of dollars worth of hotels over the next, you know, two to three years at a discount where multifamily, I feel like you're paying a premium right now. Cap rates have already compressed on uh, a multifamily even further. Because of the cheap debt we got, we went down 200 basis points in COVID and hotels never saw that. So hotels were trading at seven, six, seven and eight caps. And, they, you know, so we didn't see that compression. So you're going to have a ton of cash flow if you can place good debt, three and a half, four percent debt on these hotels and, and for any period of time. Man, this is that. On top, this of, that, on top of that, what you got to look at is let's say your comp set was uh, let's say you were running 68 percent occupancy. But now you're looking at your competitive set. You're looking at your demand drivers. You're saying your demand drivers are like, you know what? My demand drivers look strong, right? Uh, it's not newspaper factory. It's tech. So things look good. Amazon. Like Amazon. And all that. Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to be expanding around here. We're going to need more rooms. But then you look at what happened in COVID and you look over there and you're like, man, he going out of business. He ain't going to be able to afford his PIP, which is a property improvement program that's mandated by the big brands. Now you know your comp set's going to shrink. What do you think is going to happen when it shrinks? Your occupancy, instead of 68, now you're 77, 78. Your rate's going to go up too. So what I tell all your viewers is this. People complicate it. 
They're like, oh, I don't know. It's a hotel. Look, man. And then I ask them, have you ever done an Airbnb? Well, yeah, yeah, I love Airbnbs. Why do you love Airbnb? And they say, well, because it brings in so much cash flow. Well, what do you think a hotel is? You're just buying 100 Airbnbs at one time. Yeah. yeah. And you got and, a central I mean, manager. You got to send, you're vertically integrated. You got your own cleaning staff in house. You got amenities for the guests to stay at. They all got a pool. They all got a conference. I mean, so, you know. And even the way you're structuring your deal. Even the way you're structuring the deal, because I do a lot of creative financing, but I just want to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying, right? So are you structuring, similar to the deal you just explained, are you structuring the deal in such a way where the debt on the property, the loan on the property, right, that are backed by the bonds, that loan, you're not replacing that loan with your own with your own debt. You're, you're assuming the debt. Exactly. You're assuming the debt and you're baking in like, hey, seller, like I'm going to bake in your equity, your equity, you know, X, Y, and Z or 20% or whatever it is, we're just not going to pay you that today. We're going to pay you that on X, Y, and Z date when we get a new valuation or whatever the case may be. So again, you're assuming the debt, knowing that now I don't have to go out and find a lender, go out and get new debt, go out and right. you know give this exorbitant down payment. I can get in and use that cash to catch up on payments, to have these reserves, to do the things that I need to do. Again, very similar, if not, like you said, the same exact concepts, but on a much bigger scale. Yeah, I mean, that's it, man. How It was all solutions. Like, remember, when I was going through, I had a 400 credit score. Okay, he's got good credit. You know, well, went to the bank and they won't finance it because they said it's burning $10,000 a month in cash. Okay, let's go back to the owners and tell them they're going to have to finance it at bank rates because nobody's going to finance it. Go back and tell them that. They say, okay, but we need $150,000. So, you know, I didn't have 150. You got to go figure it out. It's all figuring it out. Yeah. So um, the one, the two we just bought this week was an IHG 145 room and a 87 room um, uh, Hampton Inn. Those are worth 27 to 32 million dollars, man. The guy owed 12 million on. I mean, mm. come on. Mm. Now, so mm. when we we had to bring four million, a little over four million on them. Um, but I mean, think, I mean, come on, man. So when you burr, when the market picks back up. You know, we can go back out and take them out of 70 percent. We're getting all our investors cash back. Right. They're keeping our equity in the deal. I mean, and, and and the risk when you start looking at the market and you start looking at what you're in that deal for. Now, this guy that we partner with, he's an older guy in his 80s. And he just he we end up giving him 30 percent. of the, He stayed in 30 percent. Right. But our investors get paid out first. Right. Our investors always get paid first. I mean, and then you go back and you don't even have to pay the assumption fee, right? So you waive the 1% assumption fee. Then you go back to whatever the brand, Hilton or whoever, is, and, and you negotiate. You say, hey, really, I'm not buying a hotel. So that $175,000 franchise fee, you know, we're buying into his shares to help it, you know. So it's all just looking at <laughs> And then check this out. Now you had a $20 million valuation on the taxes on that. Now you're about to go get them taxes reassessed at $8 million. You say, I mean, that's man, you saving quarter million, 300,000 a year right there going straight to the NOI. I mean, it just win, 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 win. You figure out how you can make it win. Right. I, I say you're coming back on for one other episode. I'm going to say two more episodes. My bad. My bad, Nate. My bad. Hey, man. I, <laughs> hey, hey, I get into breaking the numbers down, man. I, I mean, that's what I love doing, man. I mean, this, this, this stuff excites me. And again, I just, I, you know, it's fascinating. I think, we'll, we'll, again, we will bring you back on and we have to talk more about how to get into the hotel space and get into the specifics. But I enjoyed this episode for the journey, for the inspiration, for the encouragement. I know our listeners have as well. Let's Let's get one more question in before we get to the last and final round. Nate, you, you wait, wait, wait. one thing I want to touch on. Real okay, quick. yep, go ahead. So my partner Mike Gilly's a mastermind. You got to have him on. Yep. And we got about a seventy million dollar uh, tower we're building down in Sarasota, Florida. Too. It's gonna have 
So he's going to get in. He's going to tell you about that, how we put that together with almost a $70 million deal, bringing less than $10 million to closing. So he can tell Stay you. Stay tuned. Stay yeah. tuned. Ladies he can and tell you how he put all that together. And what I'm going to do waiting is waiting on our we, entitlements. Assuming we get our entitlements next month. We can so. talk about it. OK, cool. Well, what, what I'll do is when we actually do that episode, I'm going to link to that episode in this episode. So if you guys are listening to this a month, two months, a year, two years down the line, that episode has already happened. It's already linked here. So go ahead and listen to that episode next. One last final question before we get to the last and final round. When you, Nate, you, you have all these businesses going, you got so much going now, you got a family you're looking after. I mean, there's, there's, there's a ton going on in your world and sometimes it can be overwhelming. You can, you can get stressed out. Um, when you feel overwhelmed or that you've lost focus, maybe temporarily, what do you personally do to get yourself back in alignment? And if it helps, what, what kind of questions do you ask yourself? Man, I honestly don't, I don't get overwhelmed, man. I mean, you think uh, about going to prison at a young age and then you think about, we got to put a roof on a unit. Like, come on, man. Well, we got to get some units. <laughs> um, I got great partners, man, all around me. We've created a great culture. Um, and, and what I say is this, whenever you have a day, you got to get a lot done. You write it down on a pad. I just write it down and I'm attacking this and I'm not even eating lunch and I like to eat. I'm not eating lunch. I'm not doing nothing until this is done. Dude, boom, 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 boom. But it's all, who can I delegate this to? Who's going to be the best leader that I got to take care of this? What things do I possibly have to take on? What things do I have to walk them through? You know, what character trait does this new guy have that I just hired? And what's he going to be able to do? You know, it's it's understanding people and not just what they can help you with, but what they naturally like doing. Because you don't want to put somebody in charge of doing like I had to have a guy meet somebody for me at nine o'clock on Monday. And I'm like, got to meet closing out a loan with the bank um, on a construction loan. It's our final draw. And I was like, he's got to go because he never lets me down. Right. Mm, yeah. So you figure out who can be there instead of you I love and it. free yourself up for the stuff that you really have to do. That's growing the company um, or whatever. Meeting with the bankers, meeting with the investors, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. And again, instead of getting overwhelmed, you're you're being practical. You're breaking down the big project into bite-sized pieces. Here's what I need to do, right? The 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 actual drivers, the money makers. And then here's what I can delegate to other people, right? Instead of getting overwhelmed or unfocused, you're thinking about, well, let's just think about it in totality and what actually needs to be done from a practical sense. And I guarantee you, everybody who's listening, when you think about it from a practical sense, and like you said, you write down each individual thing, the minute you get done with that list, just writing those things down, you don't even have to have have done the task or had the people have done the task yet, but just writing everything down and knowing what the plan is, that that feeling, at least in my world, it instantly goes away. So, yeah, yeah. Man, especially when been- it, especially when you start working on it for thirty minutes and the list is halfway gone, yeah. right? And you felt like, man, I'll never get this done. So run towards the problem, not away from it. I love it. Absolutely, eat that frog, especially early in the morning. I love it. Yeah, yeah. This episode is brought to you by Fundrise. It's never been easier to become a real estate investor. With as little as $500, watch your money passively work for you by investing in real estate through a crowdfunding platform like Fundrise. In just a few minutes, you can invest in hundreds of highly vetted multi-million dollar properties such as hotels, apartment buildings, and offices all around the U.S. Based on your financial goals, Fundrise will detail a few REITs, real estate investment trusts, for you to choose from with the click of a button you can own fractional shares of really amazing deals that before the jobs act of 2012 were impossible for the everyday non-accredited investor to even hear about much less invest in 
Now, what I like about Fundrise is their ridiculously low advisory fees. So dig this, at 1.5%, my actual returns on Fundrise are outperforming my stated returns and other assets, even though they advertise higher returns. So Fundrise has no hidden costs, no management fees, no unfavorable terms. And for the BTM tribe, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E for your first three months of advisory fees totally waived. Yes, the actual only fee that Fundrise charges is being waived for three months. Simply head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise and welcome yourself to a real alternative to investing in the stock market. That link, one last time, is beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise. Lifestyle Design Acceleration Hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I like it. I like it. That's a fan favorite for sure. Why is that your favorite? Because it switched my whole paradigm of thinking. Um, you know, I got to think I grew up around all these drug dealers. I never had anybody that was educated. And when I met Mike Ealy, he gave me that book I and I changed my mind. And after reading that book, three days later, I said, man, if I could take a million dollars or what's in this book, I would take what's in this book. Because And once you train your brain, you can go out and just do whatever you want. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the link to that book will be in the show notes, ladies and gents. Second question. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Um, well, I'm a little weird, man. I got this Bring one. Called, I got this one called GPS, and I'm gonna tell y'all what it is. What it does allows me to measure buildings with my finger from the sky, so I know when I'm buying something. I'm wait, what? GPS. Yeah, it's called. Uh, I mean, I can measure anything. I was outside of Amazon Hub the other day and I measured it. I was like, this is a million square feet. It's called, uh, I don't even know what it's called, man. But look, it shows my house right here where I'm at right now. Oh, it does single family homes and all that? Yeah, look, well, it's wherever you're at, right? So it shows my my house here and then you can go draw it out. I don't even know what the name of it is, man. Oh, field area measure. Field area measure. Yeah, because let's say I'm buying a property and I need to know how many square feet of blacktop I need to uh, budget for, right? Because I'm I'm budgeting not now, but five years out or, or or one year, three years, five years. I'm always resealing the blacktop. It's 12 cents a square feet. How many square feet do I got? So within a matter of, you know, three or four minutes, I can have this multi-million dollar project measured out. And there's other ways to get it too, but I like that because it you can just go in there and play with it. I like it's called field area measure, and we'll put that in the show notes, ladies and gents. Sounds yeah. like a super, super useful app. If you're was, if you're a construction nerd like me, exactly, Alan, <laughs> I love it. Who was essential to your growth before the millions, and why? So when I met Mike Ealy, uh, I mean, I've probably been a millionaire since I was like 22, but I was got it on the wrong side, right? And so. Um, Man, I don't know. Back then it was rough, man, because I, I just was like straight ahead, you know. But uh, Mike Ealy, definitely, man. When I met him, you know, um, he helped me really get into real estate. He really did. And I, I'm grateful and thankful to him for that. And my wow. wife, she really helped me, too, man. So those two instrumental and instrumental. And of course, you. and of course, God, you know, I, I ain't gonna leave him out, you know. And but I mean, that's it, man. You get great people around you that believe in you. 
and you just don't want to let people down. You just, you know, knock it out. And so, and, and not to go on, but look, man, if you're struggling with how hard it's going to be, think about how hard it is for you. Think about how hard you're going to leave it for your kids and great grandkids. Right. So that's what I thought about when it was hard. I was like, man, I'm pushing through. I'm taking this for the family. I'm taking this. Like they're not about to grow up broke, man. I like so, that. I like that mentality. Yeah, absolutely. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? I mean, not spending any money. When I went bankrupt, I had nothing. Like I had literally all these millions of dollars. I had no assets. Like what did I do with all that money? I mean, I didn't have I want to know what you did with all that time. What do you mean? Like, like when you, I, I feel like you, it sounded like the period, once you went bankrupt, there was a and period. I partied, of- man, all the time, bro. I partied, <laughs> man. I had, look, man, I partied, man. I had uh, 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 cars and parties and, and girls and I had a nightclub and traveled and man, I just, I had a, I had a, what I would, <laughs> people used to tell me, they were like, you got it made, Nate. And I'd be over there, like no girl really, you know, cause I couldn't trust nobody. Right. And I'd be like man, lonely. I'd be like, man, you don't even know you got it, man. Cause they had a family and kids and that's all I really wanted. Cause I come from this highly dysfunctional family. That's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted what they had, but they thought that, that life was what I had. And it was right. really not material things. All right. That's a, that's a lesson right there. I, I definitely appreciate that. Nugget. last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every tension of getting We're to the comfortable, millions? man? They're comfortable. They don't want to step outside their comfort zone. You know, they, they've been trained a certain way. They're afraid of failing. They don't they don't really understand that failing is really up to you. It's not up to anybody else because you only fail when you, when quit. you quit. I've never met anybody who failed and, and, and got back up and just kept doing that. That's not a millionaire. All right. So you may go bankrupt. You may lose everything. But, hey, you're not dead. You're going to get back up. It's going to be OK. So society teaches us to, you know, go work, go to school, go work, go do this. When you're 65 years old, you can enjoy life if you make it right. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you got to think about something bigger than you. It's your kids, man. They're going to need money. They're going to need stuff. And it ain't even about money because I wouldn't care if my kids didn't have any money at all. It's about the mindset. Like mm-hmm. my kid, my 14 year old, he's like, dad, do I really have to go to school? I'm like, yeah, you got to go to school. Cause he's like, man, I just want to do real estate or, you know, I want to go out. He's like, I don't, dad, they're not teaching me anything I'm going to use. I'm like, look, maybe not. And they probably aren't. I mean, you know, I, I like they're pushing his brain to the next level. Right. But, um, you know, once you understand how to go out here and put your and most amazing thing, guys, is look, man, when you can bring $1 to the bottom line, to the NOI, for every dollar you can bring to NOI, you get $20 return at a 6% cap. I mean, once you figure out how to do that, it's just looking at that property, say, how can I bring money to the bottom line? That's it. That's and it. That's it. That's $100 it. rent increase is going to get you $20,000 on the sale. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's, 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 you know, you know, I know I'm a little off subject, but man. No, that's, I mean, it, 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 I think it ties into just 
investing, right? It doesn't have to be money, right? I mean, that, yes, like I think of it as a cat, uh, it can be like an ATM or, I mean, however you want to view it, whatever you're investing, you're investing again, that $1 or you're investing how to solve that problem. And what you're going to get on the opposite end is, you know, a 20 X multiple, right? But you yeah. have to invest whatever that is, whether that's energy, time, effort, whatever it is. So, so I think, I think it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful statement. Um, last but not least, Nate, um, if the listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, I mean, again, this, this episode, I, 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 I legit, like I have to go back and like, this was an amazing episode. If they want to hear, hear a little bit more of your story, learn a little bit more about you, maybe drop in and say, hi, find out what you got going on. See if they can join in on any of your partnerships, where they, can they find some of your information? So, um, we're set, we got a CRM, we're setting up a system like crowdfund right now that'll probably be six months before that's out. But right now I got, um, and, and we don't do marginal deals. We do really great deals, by the way, too. You know, I'm sure like you. And you see a lot of syndicators out here like, man, you know, I mean, you've got to do amazing deals when, whenever you're taking people's money. Um, but I got a, a Facebook group with over 110,000 people in it. That's where I'm at more than more uh, more than YouTube. I got YouTube, too. I got TikTok. I mean, I got a, social, a whole social media team. I got three people that run a social media for me. But we got uh, amazing content, B-R-R-R-R, Invest um, on um, Facebook. And I got an academy I just came out with, man. I just had 40 people come in town. I, I rented them a red suite. and I hope you grabbed yeah. that domain already. Huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, hope- yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah we, got, we got all kinds of, we got Burr Lending, Burr Lenders. You, cry, you grabbed all that? That's you? Be with, <laughs> be with two R's lenders. Be with I was wondering who took that domain from. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> Now, and so we got, um, you know, I just try to show people, man, you don't have to be broke, man. You don't have to. And then, you know, like uh, I, not to talk about Dave Ramsey, but he can get mm-hmm. you out of debt, but he can't mm-hmm. get you wealthy. Yep. He wants you to eat bologna, live under the bridge. Look, man, I want you to eat steak still. I want you to be disciplined, right, in your approach. Uh, but I want you to enjoy life while you're young. I don't want you to have to think you wait until 60. So the Burr method allows that because you're not saving up more money to do another deal. You're actually, if you're doing it right and you're vertically integrated and you do what I show you how to do, you're pulling out more money out of that deal, even at 75%, 80% than what you had in it. Mm. I mean, this year we've cashed out, we'll cash out over eight figures just in Burrs, you know? Mm. And so, um, and then we got sales going on too. And we didn't even hit on the, the tax strategy I wanted to tell you guys about. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. We talked about that before. Look, that's that's how you know there's a part two coming soon, guys. Part two coming yeah, soon yeah, for sure. There's yeah. so much. There's so much. Um, so the main thing is I don't want people to struggle. I'm in there. I'm gonna, we're going to create 2,025 millionaires by 2025. They're going to they're gonna be in the academy, man. And we got a heck of a support group in there. Heck of a culture we're building and just some... Man, amazing people in there that already have a lot of it. They just need that push. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Absolutely. We'll link to everything we talked about here on the show notes. This has been an amazing podcast episode, Nate. Thank you for coming on. And thank you guys for having us. Uh, man, I, I really appreciate it. I say us, like it's, you know, like I'm not <laughs> the whole production team. <laughs> no, I'm fat, man. I'm two people, man. Nah, stop, man. It, stop, it, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. You've been a pleasure, whole man. 40 ounce of water, man. During the there, you, there you go. There you go. I appreciate it, man. You've been a, a breath of fresh air, Nate, and we'll talk to you very, very soon. Hey, thank you so much, man. You guys have an awesome day, brother.